Chapter Fifteen of Serapion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. Serapion by Francis Stevens. Chapter Fifteen. Bad Days. But had my desired obsession or familiar or haunting ghost really desired to help? he might have warned me definitely of sabina castle alicia did not appear at the inquest she was ill and under a physician's care her semi-conscious state as reported by him prevented even the taking of a deposition i did not however stand alone as star witness before the coroner's jury sabina castle mrs moore's old colored mammy whom she had brought north with her from virginia shared and rather more than shared the honors with me they had taken pains that nils and i should not meet he was kept rigorously incommunicado till the inquest no one save the police and the district attorney having access to him at the inquest i caught only a glimpse of him when he was led out past where i awaited my turn before the jury involuntarily i sprang up only to be caught by a constable's hand while nils was hustled on out as he went he threw me a glance that was a burning dictatorial command i obeyed it i told the jury exactly that story which nils's letter had outlined for us both there was tempered steel in berquist i could be sure that no long-drawn torment of inquisition could make him vary a hair's breadth from the line he had set for us to follow in my testimony which preceded sabina's i explained what nils had objected to my interest in spiritualism fostered by a single previous visit to the moor's place that he wished me to leave the house with him and that alicia also had seemed set against my remaining that an argument ensued at the height of which moore became very angry and excited shouted i'll settle with you once for all and came round the table toward berquist he grasped berquist's arm i said when my friend tried to free himself moore snatched the the file from the table i saw berquist seize moore's wrist they struggled a moment and then moore staggered away with his hands to his face then he fell down berquist called to me and no i had not tried to interfere it all happened too quickly there wasn't time after berquist wrenched the file from moore's hand i don't believe he struck it more i think the file was driven into his eye by accident that surmise of course was struck from the record but i had said it at least and hoped it impressed the jury afterward the the sight of blood and the suddenness of it all turned me sick no my recollections were clear up to that time and so forth it was a straight story i knew it agreed to a hair with nils's confession what i did not could not know was that it varied in one essential detail from an entirely different confession a confession made by a person whom we had not considered as an even possible eye-witness and whose very existence i at least had forgotten 
given that a second eyewitness existed one would have supposed that the disagreement would have been over the slayer's identity it was not by a curious trick of fate sabina castle alicia's old coloured maid did undoubtedly see me strike more down and yet not through such a supernormal illusion as caused me to kill more but in a perfectly natural manner she had confused berquist's identity with mine she related as having been done by berquist that which had been done by me in one detail only did sabina's testimony conflict with ours but that was the kind of detail which would hang a man if its truth were established she had seen me berquist by her own account snatch the file from the table and strike more and she had seen me do it on no further provocation than the laying of moore's hand on my arm the fifth presence was right when he foretold that nils would be indicted and yet though things had indeed gone ill for nils at the inquest i did not at once carry out my expressed intention and substitute myself for him as defendant i didn't wish to die nor spend years in prison i wanted to live and have a decent straight pleasant future ahead such as i had been brought up to expect as a right it seemed to me that just one way lay open though nils was now entirely at my mercy only his untrammelled acquittal would give me the moral freedom to keep silent for that a first-class lawyer was a sine qua non Berquist was practically penniless and the barber exchequer in not much better state here again however friendship came to the fore in a curiously impressive manner for the sake of an old acquaintance and some ancient friendly claim that my father had on him none other than Helador Marx took Berquist's case. I mean Helador Marx, of Marx, Marx, and Orlo, who could have termed himself Marx the Famous and not lied. I remember my first interview with him after Dad had, to me almost incredibly, persuaded him into alliance. My first impression was of a mild looking, smallish man with a scrubby mustache. He had hurt the top of his bald head in some way, so that it was crossed with a fair-sized hillock of adhesive plaster. I thought that added to his insignificant appearance. But he had the brightest, softly brown eyes I have ever seen, and after the first few minutes I was afraid of him. I was afraid that I would tell him too much. My confidence, however, proved not the easily uprooted kind of a common criminal, and for Nils the acquisition of this famous insignificant-looking lawyer gave me the only real hope of assurance I had through those bad days. Your friend, Marx had said to me, is a rather wonderful young man, Barber. I can't blame you for being troubled. He was the kind of intelligence that would make a legal genius of him if he had turned his efforts to that direction a wonderful intelligence and all lost in a maze of impractical theorizing and the sort of dreams that can't come true so long as men are men and women are women god help us all 
he shan't go to the chair nor prison either he's my man my case and yes i'll say my friend though i don't run to sudden enthusiasms leave burkris to me evidently marx's consultations with his case had not been kept within strictly professional bounds i smiled involuntarily i could picture that long dark face of nils lighting to alert interest as he discovered that marx was not merely the lawyer who might save him from martyrdom but also a thinking man he must have brought out a side of the little man that was kept carefully submerged at ordinary times i am sure that few people had seen hellador marx inclined to dilatory wanderings in philosophy such as nils loved but i went out with a lighter heart and more optimism than i had carried in some time marx with his my man my case my friend had instilled a confidence which remained with me all that day i had returned to the bank for though i walked in the valley of the shadow while i could walk i must work so mr turn had me back again and it was a very good thing that i had mr turn to go back to not many men would have put up with the abstracted attention my work received nor patiently picked up the slack of details i let go by me his patience had a characteristic reason behind it which i was sure of from the minute he told me about poor van the latter it seemed had really gone the step too far with his father in the affair of mr turn's four hundred van sittart senior would let no one speak of his son to him after that day every one in the bank however knew that he had quarrelled with him disowned him and that van in a fit of temper had refused the offer of a last money settlement a couple of thousand only it was said flung out of the colossus and walked off leaving the grey roadster forlorn by the curb no one knew where van had gone after that he had simply vanished saying no good-byes taking nothing with him but the clothes he wore mr turn felt guilty because it was his complaint which had caused the final rupture he liked me anyway but having as he believed ruined van he showed an added consideration for me which developed into an almost absurd tenderness for my feelings he needed that if i was to be kept on the tracks at all those days i was nervous as a cat ready to jump at the creak of a door roberta would watch me with wide troubled eyes and because a question was in them i would grow irritable and fling off and leave her with almost brutal abruptness and always she forgave me till i came near wishing she would forgive less easily kathy resented my new irritability with the merciless justice of a sister mother endured my anxiety for nils only because it proved i was like dear serapion and dad harped on his pride in me for standing by till i really dreaded to go near him and as for the fifth presence he remained detestably faithful several times i explained to him that if nils were not cleared i intended to confess when he only continued to smile i ceased talking to him 
he still came however and on the very night before the trial opened the last thing of which i was conscious dropping asleep was his smooth persuasive hateful silent voice as ever it was expressing the platitudinous and always subtly evil advice to which habit had so accustomed me that it had grown very hard indeed to distinguish his speech from my thoughts End of chapter 15 Recording by John Brandon